In this episode of The Ziggler Show, I play a short clip from Zig Ziggler, and he cites a study done by the Thomas Jefferson Center where they compile the top 15 values common in all the world's great civilizations and religions. The values were wisdom and integrity, love, freedom, justice, courage, humility, patience, industriousness, thriftiness, generosity, objectivity, cooperation, moderation, optimism. Well, I wanted to hear from people firsthand. So I ask our audience, if you are hiring someone to do a job for you, which three to five of these values do you have as priority or would you put as priority? And what came out were eight values people put at the top of the list, which tells us which values that we're going to be best served to emulate in the workplace. So I'm going to play this one and a half minute clip from Zig Ziglar and then Tom Ziglar and I are going to talk through the survey. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is The Ziggler Show, where our focus is growing your professional success by helping you grow into your full capacity. My Motive podcast is devoted to clarifying the reasons that drive you. In episode 31, I bring you a paradigm shift with a motive for temporary failures. I make a case for welcoming difficulty and temporary failures that come with doing anything of great value in our lives. My True Life podcast is aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. In episode 75, we talk about how to upgrade your OS, your operating system. Not a reboot, but a true upgrade. You'll find permission to take a break and take care of yourself. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts by searching Kevin Miller or at my website, kevinmiller.co. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon it really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. They did a study at the Thomas Jefferson Center in Pasadena, California, spent years studying uh, the values, and here's what they found. There are 15 values that are common in all the world's great civilizations and religions. Number one is wisdom. Number two is integrity. Three is love. Four is freedom. That's where creativity is born. Five is justice. Six is courage. Seven is humility. Eight is patience. Nine is industriousness. Ten is thriftiness. Uh, Eleven is generosity. Twelve is objectivity. Thirteen is cooperation. Fourteen is moderation. And fifteen is optimism. 
the qualities that we've identified from the very beginning. Uh, what I'd like to read here is what Reagan said about this, and I think it gets right to the heart of it. If we fail to instruct our children in justice, religion, and liberty, we will be condemning them to a world without virtue a life in the twilight of a civilization where the great truths have been forgotten. I believe he's right. Attitude, uh, ladies and gentlemen, can be good today or bad tomorrow. We know how things happen to us, and we react instead of respond, and so our attitude uh, is subject to a lot of things. Tom, when I heard your dad go through these, I I love these studies. I know you do too. I mean, when you see, it feels like this is an opinion. This is a study that was done. So the Thomas Jefferson Center, they studied 15 values most common in all the world's great civilizations and religions. And let's say, you know, religions, just say in in spiritual context, you know, and I thought, man, that's pretty weighty right there. And it really just drew me to go, oh my goodness, I want to talk about these in my work and even at home. I mean, how are we walking out these values? These are the values that we as humans you know, gravitate towards when we're surveyed and we come out with these, those are really important. So I, you know, as always, I put it out there in a way that I hoped people would think about and thought, gosh, what do you value? Not only in yourself or try to, that you try Cause we're going to say, we all try to do all those things, but what would you hire if you only had to pick three to five, which is kind of unfair because who doesn't want all of them, but it was interesting. And number one, uh, it was a tie integrity and humility. So that right there is interesting. So if you're going to hire somebody, you want integrity. So I'd probably think, well, I mean, Tom, I think of that, you know, people are probably thinking honest, who who doesn't want, I mean, at the top of the list, you want to trust somebody and humility. That was an interesting one to me because you want somebody, you know, self-confident, right? But they chose humility. I don't know if I would have picked that one. What about you? Integrity and humility. So tell me why people picked that one, Tom. I think integrity kind of stands on its own. Yeah, I do too. Uh, You know, it's uh, the byproduct of integrity is trust. And you can't have a good relationship without trust. Yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, a quote that's really been ringing in my ear was by John Boyd. And he said, if a leader asks for your loyalty, give him your integrity. Right. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And if a leader asks for your integrity, give them your loyalty. And so I think whether we're hiring somebody to a business or whether we're going to work for someone or with someone or for a business, it's really hard to give them um, your loyalty unless they have integrity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's a real challenge. You know, maybe that's part of the undercurrent of why people move around jobs so much now is they're just not seeing a place where they can give loyalty. Yeah. uh, Because the integrity is not there. And when you find an organization where the, the people who were working there have been there a pretty good while and they've been working together successfully for a pretty good while, the heart of that's always going to be integrity. Yeah. And then, uh, what was the, what was Humi- the other humility? Yeah. Um, that's just, to me, that was a kind of a, I wondered if that was a statement on the culture of what we're not finding, what people feel like they're not finding in others. You know, um, 
Well, Dr. Blanchard, when I had breakfast, Ken Blanchard, when I had breakfast with him, he said that the two most important leadership qualities are humility and confidence. And I think in this asynchronous vulnerability world that um, we ache for, vulnerability is the number one asset of a producing team. You can't have a leader that creates a vulnerable team without humility because yeah. the first thing that the that the leader has to do to, to lead this team is to be humble. Yeah. To say, I don't know it. Um, and mm -hmm. vulnerability in the business context, which is what we're talking about, simply means that you don't know the answers. Now, dad, he taught us at home that if we have faith in, you know, the reason that faith in God is so important in the family perspective is that when the head of the house or the parents, when they submit to a higher power, hmm. then that sets the example and makes it easier for the kids to accept a higher authority. And I think that's what we're really seeing on a cultural level is if people are the higher authority, then we're all elbowing our way to the top to be that power. Nobody wants to submit to anyone else in authority and they don't have the integrity to deserve it in the first place. And so you get chaos. And so it starts with humility. So I am much more likely to take direction and leadership from a leader who's humble mm -hmm. than one who's arrogant. Agreed. And what's interesting to me, well, a couple things in that, that you said, you cited Blanchard saying uh, humility and confidence, which I know a lot of folks have a hard time holding both of those together in that because we get a lot of that humility is that, you know, even from a gosh, a religious standpoint, a Christian religion, that it's, you know, that it's meek and mild and self-effacing and it's not that. And your dad, Tom, as you know, was such a role model, I think to all of us for that. He was so humble. He was not self-aggrandizing and yet so confident when he was on the stage and espousing us that there's, you know, that we can be, we can be more and, and do more and have more capability, but that humility and confidence and Tom, that's, I, I feel like that's something that I have to, to some degree. I mean, I hope that I'm growing into it, but be, be aware of, you know, when somebody gives that compliment, can you say, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. Instead of the, Oh no, 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 no. That's what I used to do. Trying to fight my own pride, you know, trying to downplay that, but to have humility and confidence, but also what you said, Tom, the higher power aspect. So I did a show yesterday. That's going to be on my motive podcast. I'm not sure what episode with Tommy Breedlove, uh, really influential guy to a lot of influential guys, uh, these days as a, as a kind of a life coach. And he taught, we got on the topic of narcissism. And he talked about, he felt like we in our culture are breeding narcissism through social media, through the focus on self, through the victim culture and whatnot. And it comes back to us. And I, I feel like more and more where there is no focus or uh, attention, importance, anything, credit given to a higher power. Well, if there's not a higher power, then what is it? It's just us. 
And yeah, as you said, how can you be humble when it's all you, there is no higher power. And I felt like, yeah, from a, he was pointing out that from a narcissistic standpoint that feeds into that as well. And cause we, it feels like this phenomenon of everybody's a narcissist right now. Like there's some viral integrity or, or viral, uh, uh, you know, f- character flaw floating around. We're all catching it. Oh my gosh. I got the, I got the narcissist virus now too, along with COVID. And he was saying, no, I, I feel like it, he felt like it's, it's a deficit or a result, a co- negative consequence of this culture that is so self-focused, which as you said, if there's not a higher power, it's just you. And man, what a, I was talking with my dad, Dan Miller recently. And he said, hey, your world just gets so small so small. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It just gets tiny. And, and when we have to be the answer to everything, mm-hmm. um, it only takes a little virus to humble us. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I say that Tom, as a guy who I would say, do I have, does Kevin Miller have faith in a higher power? Absolutely. Does Kevin Miller often go forward on any given day in any given moment, like it is up to him and it is, and he, and he is a higher power. I do. Is very, I'm, I'm, I have a history of feeling led. I, I think authentically led and I think proven out in my own life led by God to do X, Y, Z. And yet so prone to hear the calling, heed the calling, take action and go it alone. And then find myself so often later going, okay, where are you? Where are you? I'm feeling kind of alone here and I'm going awry. And, uh, yeah, so there we go. So integrity, so the second ones though, Tom, let's hold these up. Second, the second one's industriousness, cooperation, and love. So again, there's 15. We just pulled out two, integrity and humility. Second one's industriousness, cooperation, and love. So I'll just give that to you. What do you think of, or what do you think is the perspective that people have that they would list this out in a hiring potential that they would think of with industriousness? Wow. So what does industriousness mean? Does it, is it, I'll give this, this is what it means to me. There's, there's, there's a way that I think it's, um, maybe it's MIT or, or Harvard where you can go online and you can take a full course curriculum for it Uh and same classes, same videos, same material, but you're not a student, right? You're yeah. just taking it. And so you can self-study your way through it. And I think it costs you a couple thousand dollars at the end of the whole program. And you get a certificate after you pass the tests that say you've done the equivalent of somebody who went to the school there. And so I've asked business owners, hey, would you rather hire a student who went to Harvard who has 150,000 in student loan debt and the official sheepskin who went through these courses, or would you rather hire someone who worked their way parallel, did these courses online, passed all the same tests, but didn't go to the school itself? And it's 100%. I want the student who didn't get the debt, who did it on their own. Mm -hmm. And I said, why is that? And they said, because they figure it out with the resources they have. And 
to work in my business, that's what I want. I, I want an innovative, creative, industrious, how can we solve these problems with the materials that we have? So to me, that's what industrious means. It, it means looking at the resources, the allocation, everything that we have, and we just maximize it. How about you? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I, well, I'm cheating because as you were doing that, I actually looked up industriousness for one. But I, I tended to, if, if I put that off, and I'll read it here in a second, I was thinking of kind of a pr proactive is what came to mind, which is, is a lot of what you just said, proactive and intuitive. I... I really probably too much bias. I like intuitiveness because I am not a, a, I did not go to school. Uh, I mean, I barely made it out of high school. I, not that I wasn't competent, but I was not attentive. I didn't even show up a lot, but I was doing uh, my own business by at that point and was racing bikes competitively and putting my efforts there, but didn't go to, to any formal education and relied on my intuitiveness uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, so with that, so with that, yeah, I, I relied on intuitiveness and even that, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know and figuring things out. Now, I, it's tempting for me to hold up that quality as the Holy Grail because it's what I relied on so much. And I've seen with my kids that, that there are other there are other qualities that are great and thank goodness not everybody just has this that one quality because they would never do ad uh, that's not true but you know so there's there's aspects of administration and maintenance and uh that, that just management uh that needs somebody who's more of a steady worker steady thinker and whatnot but so industrious since i think of that so here's the definition i came out of uh with working energetically and devotedly hardworking and diligent. So, man, I get that. So industriousness uh, to come out. And that is, Tom, and you know this as well or better than I do. I would say that that as a quality is what corporate America is struggling with the lack of with the younger workforce right now. Even to put that in the, uh, you know, the soft skills, which are being called more now essential skills, the ability for somebody to be proactive, to be intuitive, to have, you know, some common sense as they look at things, to figure things out. Uh, and they're not getting that because we're not fostering that well in our culture. And I'm not even going to say it's in the education system, because as you know, a lot of that's at home. If you, you know, I, I expect it, to, I'm not looking to the educational institutes to do that. I should be teaching that to my kids at home and that's not being done as well either. And so we have this workforce right now and the corporate world saying, man, we get these kids in and it's not that they're not smart. It's not that they don't have, you know, good heart. They may have integrity and humility, but they haven't had the opportunity even to be industrious and I, to become industrious. And I think this is what Simon Sinek has been talking about a lot in his videos that have been going viral about millennials and what they had been born into this electronic age and this digital digital age. And they have some skills and qualities that I don't, that you and I don't as what he would say, uh, we are not digital natives. You know, we're not natives to a lot of this culture. So they do, but they're not, industriousness has not been real high on the list. A hundred percent agree. And, and as I researched the whole book, um, from this last year, one of the things that I discovered is that a lot of times 
older folks, me included, we look at millennials and we say they don't they don't like to be told what to do. They're not industrious. They uh, they reject leadership, and that's not at all the situation. <laughs> that that's the reality. That's not the truth. The truth is is that they are requiring a certain kind of leadership, mm. which I talk about to great extent in the book, which is coach leadership instead of command and control, do it because I said so leadership. Yeah. And it's a different, and, and so in a way they are asking for integrity based leadership that expresses uh, concern, empathy, kindness, and, and love that is a communication, a two-way street that, that requires engagement rather than the old style leadership of, hey, I'm the boss, so you know, don't even bother asking me why. Just go and do it. Yeah. And and so many the the way we solve problems today, especially digitally, is is so different because now there can be hundreds of paths to take. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode on top-valued values. Next, Tom digs further into industriousness and that what motivates us to be industrious is knowing the why behind it. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com. Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all, and Yahoo Finance is a, an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they were hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. 
I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. I'm seeing the original definition that you read about you know, just energetically tackling something. Yeah, I think young people energetically tackle things that they understand the why. Yeah, right. That they they get it right, and then it's like no holds bar. Another thing that's huh. different um, is in the old system, in the old way, production was very measurable, and we usually measured it by widgets or time in the seat. Yep. Now it's creative and there's a, and it's a whole different standard of measurement. Yeah. Uh, it's, it goes on in our head and our thinking in our space. And of course, you know, there's every job has a little bit of both in it, but we're moving more and more into the collaboration, creativity, and innovation world. Yeah. Uh, as technology takes over more and more of the redundant robotic things. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw something yesterday about the robotics coming into fast food and then you know, showing the robot that takes the potato or the, you know, whatever, the uh, French fries and dips them in the cooker or the fryer or whatever and comes out and just, yeah, again, the changes that are happening there. You know, one thing I thought of as you were talking there with industriousness, I have two boys right now who are, are my muse somewhat. They are 16 and 14 and the industriousness as I think of it with that proactiveness, I don't see as much in them. I don't see as much in our culture. And again, they're my muse right now because they're right in the middle of that for me. I don't see that as much in them as I saw, not only in myself, but even in uh, Tom, in our, at our age. 
because I think it also fostered it because there wasn't as much to do. We didn't have screens. We didn't have all the efficiencies and luxuries and whatever. And so we were more apt to go make something happen, maybe just out of boredom, if nothing else. Now, if they do get involved in something, if I do pull them into something or, or they get the opportunity, then they do work energetically and devotedly as the definition, you know, says, but I don't see as much proactiveness. And I think this goes somewhat to what we're seeing in the culture because it's just, it's not as needed. You can fulfill any desire, just as you said, sitting in your chair and it doesn't require as much overall uh, proactiveness, it seems. So gosh, that's an interesting one that that one came up so high, you know, love over here. I'm going to, if you're okay, let that, unless you want to say something there. I love, I mean, you know, I think we're back to the higher calling. Do you feel as our, we, of course we want that. It's such an overall encompassing one. Um, but cooperation then was the other one there. And that's an interesting one as well to look at culturally. I don't know if you have any insight to, again, if we look at the corporate world, is that one where cooperation is listed because it's lacking my thought is that t- people, it feels like, and I'm just going to say a, a feeling again, this is not my area of study that people are pretty, the workplace is pretty cooperative these days, maybe even more. So it's one of the things that I like about self-employment. I want to be pretty autonomous, but cooperation. Um, I don't know. Where do you see that one falling, Tom? Well, I wanted to just comment on proactiveness. I think a lot of times in our culture, we're spared consequences. I hear so the lawn. I hear the lawnmower there, isn't it? <laughs> Keep going. So, if anybody's hearing this is a candid show, there's a lawnmower. It happens in buildings. Go ahead. Yes. So, in uh, the proactiveness issue, I think we there's a layer of of safety where we don't feel consequences like we used to. Huh? So our, a, a lot of the parenting that you see today, if the child leaves their, their clothes on the floor, uh, the parent comes in and picks it up and takes care of it. Yeah. Right. If, if, if I don't get this project done on time, the parents write a note and the teacher feels pressure to give them an extra day, right? There's this whole idea that uh, we need to protect people from consequences. And then they go into the world. Absolutely. And boom. All boom. Sudden, exactly. There is consequences that, that come along and they're right outside my window. So I'm going to mute. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. You, you motion me when they're, when they're, uh, when they're gone. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and there's, there's so uh, much again, culturally this is different and it's so easy to showcase it as with the negative, but I do see skill sets, even that my own kids have and perspectives that are needed in this. We are in the information age. They are digital natives. And as we grow into a culture that is more and more digital native, they grew up in this stuff. It is going to have different mindsets, different skills needed. And I don't think it will turn out to be all bad, but we may be in a, just again, the rub of a shift that who knows how long that is, that is going to continue. 
Um, so, you know, again, so industriousness, cooperation, love, those were number two. Number three, the third one. That's, so that's five right there out of the 15. Here's three more. Wisdom, courage, and optimism were set in there uh, as next. And so, you know, wisdom, I thought, is an interesting one. It's a word that we use, we uphold, we applaud. It'd be a curious one to get a random sampling of what people think the definition of wisdom is. I think it would be easy to say, and Tom, you just motion when you don't have a lawnmower outside there, but when, of how you define wisdom, because when we see that, I think you think of Gandalf, okay, there's my picture of wisdom. You know, it's the old white haired, super wise, experienced a lot, been alive for thousands of years, you know, and they really know a lot. And we attributed a lot to age, which is by proxy experience, I think. But as you and I have, man, I've got, I feel like I've heard out of my kids wisdom, you know, where they have, have wisdom beyond me even. And I do feel like it's hard to have without some experience. Um, and Tom's showing me out the window, the lawn mowing happening. Uh, yeah, there you go. I got it. Got it. Uh, so, you know, wisdom though, to say that that is difficult to have without experience. So if we're looking again, now when we say hiring, which is how I led this thing out, and we've been talking about kind of the younger generation, younger folks, obviously you can be hiring anybody at any age, depending on what your workplace scenario is. But wisdom, if we look at that and having experience. So I did a piece, Tom, the other day. Uh, this was uh, in the motive show. I think it was the, the last one. It was probably number 33, 37. I can't remember. So it was in the motive show and talked about the aspect of, or the concept of, and I literally said this, if I was hiring somebody for a job that required some leadership, some intuition, you know, a, a, a more, a higher caliber job. One of the questions I put, I put forth is have you experienced a significant failure, a, a defeat, not an ultimate one, but a, a temporary, as Napoleon Hill would say, a temporary defeat. You know, have you experienced that? If they have not, it shows me one, that they really haven't tried something that's a bit beyond themselves where they didn't just right off the bat, you know, succeed. And it shows me that there's going to be a limited amount of wisdom just experientially. They have not done that. They have not had the hard knocks and the learning from that, that then I think, you know, can create wisdom. And that is so, it's just something you have to experience. I don't know how to have had that happen without having gone through some of the experiences of life. I was I was reading in uh, gosh this is years ago and the difference between uh, wisdom and education and knowledge okay and the most educated per capita population in the history of the world was pre World War II Nazi Germany interesting. And so we know that there's not, from that example and many others, that just because you have a lot of education and a lot of knowledge 
doesn't mean that you are going to have a moral foundation and wisdom because wisdom is the proper, this is my definition uh, that I've taken from some others. It's the properly applied application of knowledge that is morally, ethically in line with God's word. Okay. Okay. So that's wisdom. So it's that combination of, Hey, this is, this is the knowledge that I have. This is the education that I have. This is what we know, whether it's science or anything else, this is what we know, but it has to be in alignment with God's uh, more moral and ethical standards. Right. Because I can use, I can use anything that we can create from, from knowledge and education for good or for evil. Yeah. And so wisdom is what differentiates that. I read last year that uh, the older a saying is, the more likely it is wisdom. Because wisdom is one of those things that gets passed down generationally. And if it's not true wisdom, they quit passing it down. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought I thought was very, very interesting to do that. So uh, how do you, you know, and you said, well, you gain wisdom through experience. And how do you get experience by making bad decisions? <laughs> Often, or let's just say we, let's say trying things bigger than ourselves that are not going to work out the first time, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, or learning from others to do the same. True. So that's kind of my take on the wisdom, on, on the well, I like it. And you said a couple of things there, you know, education and knowledge alone does not equate to wisdom. So here's a couple of fun. I don't know if they're fun, but a couple of resources that came to mind when you said that, Tom, actually, one of them came to mind before when you were talking about industriousness and you cited that concept of would you rather have the person that went through Harvard, graduated, has their you know debt, went through the whole deal, or the person who achieved, in essence, the same thing on their own and everybody picked on their own. That's uh, curious because a movie that I really is really profound to me is Good Will Hunting. That's Matt Damon and uh, Robin Williams. And in that, you got this Matt Damon, he's a janitor at whatever Ivy League school. And he is learning this stuff. He is figuring it out. He's engaging. And we love that industriousness. Now, interestingly, though, same movie, when we come to what you just said about wisdom with education and knowledge alone, do not create wisdom. That was a very important part of that movie, Goodwill Hunting, where Robin Williams, as the counselor, really confronted uh, Will Will, uh, uh, which is uh, the Matt Damon character in there and said, look, if I ask you about X, Y, Z, you're going to respond with these answers that you learned from a book. When I ask you about love, you're going to respond to me with these answers from this again, philosopher and all stuff. You have not lived it. You he didn't say it. I don't think in that many those words, but he said, you don't have wisdom. And he was really calling him to go out and experience life. Don't just read about it. Very similar movie that I have never met anyone who's uh, seen necessarily. I'm sure people have. I actually own it. It's called The Music Within. And it's got actors who you would recognize. And it was a based on a true story about the um, uh, American Disabilities Act. But in it, this guy is an exceptional speaker. 
He would have made Zig proud up on stage. He was exceptional at delivering a message, inciting emotion, emotion, getting a point across. And he went to a university. He wanted to be accepted at this high university. And, and ultimately the professor denied him and said, no, he, he was just beside himself. He said, why not? I I'm the best you've seen on stage, aren't I? And the guy said, yes, you are. But in the same thing, he says, but you, he says, you talk about things, but you can talk about anything and make a good point. He says, I want you to go out and earn, go out and, and experience life and earn an opinion and then come back and use it with that skill on stage. And to your point, Tom, or your description, use, use it with wisdom. Now come without, with not just education and knowledge of how to speak, but with wisdom of something you've gained an opinion. This guy actually ended up going to war and I believe he had a, uh, uh, suffered a hearing loss and he came back and then through the story you'll see, and he put that towards being an advocate for what ended up being the American uh, Disabilities Act. AB, is that right? ADC, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, wisdom. So gosh, I, I love that perspective on wisdom. So the other ones here, Tom, the next one was courage. And really going back to what you cited a minute ago, when we have a culture to some degree where we have not allowed our kids to fail, to experience consequences, and we shelter them, shield them. What's the uh, helicopter parenting, I think, is the, the big one, you know. And that's been, talk about the corporate world where we've had people complaining because they bring this kid in, 18, 19, and they get, and the parents get involved in hiring. And they're going, are you kidding me? Is this kid not a, a, a human, an adult in and of themselves? They still need your parenting. But courage, again, not to be negative, but I think we're seeing our culture that has less exposure to overcoming some difficulties that then grows courage. And if we go to our buddy, Donald Miller, and he says, what's a good story, a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. And in, his, and in Donald's book, a million miles in a thousand years, he talks about a year in his life as a single guy where he spent the year, decided he wanted a nicer car. So he worked, saved some money, bought a car. So it's a character who wants something and he got it. He didn't overcome any conflict. It's not a good story. And he said, really, is this the, the is this what my life is? It's not a good story. So overcoming conflict, courage, and interesting to see that that was top of the list. How are we growing courage? That's a question, I guess, Tom, with all these, how are we growing wisdom in ourselves? How are we growing courage in ourselves? Thoughts on courage? Yeah, it seems like I heard that uh, courage is, is when whatever virtue is challenged, it stands up in the face of that challenge. Hmm. Okay. And, and that's we go back to that integrity versus loyalty thing. I think our courage meter in our culture is so low uh, because we're so eager to go along with whatever whoever we look to as the person who we look up to, even though they might say something that's not quite right or do something that's not quite right. It's easier to be a part of that group. And then we've got the the bully culture on social media where, you know, people are, are being courageous, you know, out there attacking other people, but there's no personal penalty at stake. Right. 
And so courage to me is risk. Courage is doing what's right, even though there's a risk. Uh, the definition of, you know, you face your fear, you face the ordeal, you go through a tough situation, uh, stoically or, you know, even with, even with enthusiasm, uh, you know, you relish that. Uh, but courage to me is that it's that it's that when you look at the different virtues to get tested, are you going to do what's right? in at when you're at risk, yeah. when, when you're going to be called out, when you're going to, and we, we know we see that all the time. Um, so c- courage is interesting because we're talking about the workplace, the vulnerability is the key and it takes courage to be vulnerable, yeah. right? It, it takes courage to let people, Hey, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. And this is a tough one for, for men and relationships. We, we assume that our significant others, our spouses, they, they, they want the answer. They want us to know how to do it. Uh, when what they really want is somebody in the, in the trial with them. And so when we're like, Hey, I don't, I'm with you. I don't know the answer here, but I'm with you. That's enough. Right. And, and it's a hard thing to learn. It takes courage to, to do that. So whether it's bravery or valor or whatever, it's, it's willing to take a risk to sacrifice, to do something for a higher benefit or a higher cause. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, we can dig into that. I mean, a lot of people also think of that with bravery, though I can see sometimes a differentiation within bravery, especially in a moment, um, and being courageous overall. Well, again, just such a, such a big profound character issue here. Well, Tom, the last one here that's listed is optimism. And Hey, this is the Ziegler show. You know, that's just, that's like the heartbeat right there is optimism, positive thinking. And I would say, and, and uh, Tom, I, maybe help me here. Cause I, I feel it's so easy when we're talking about things like this to come from a negative standpoint, because it feels like our culture and this stuff was written about long ago. You know, we talk about some of the, the, the greats from old, even way, even past your dad, they were speaking to these things back then. So it's, I don't know that it's fair to say that the issue is worse now, but it's definitely easier, more easily proliferated and the influence of our time seems weightier and broader because of information because of social media. And so we're inundated, inundated more. And it feels like by proxy that does have more of an influence on us. And I feel like we are under fire more than ever with these values is how your dad presented them. Uh, somebody in the comments said, these are virtues. And I agree as well. These are virtues. So the values and virtues overall are under fire right now. And we are, yeah, becoming this, it feels like this narcissistic flavor. So as we look at that and say optimism, man, I can see the desire for that. Who doesn't want that in their workplace? Who doesn't want that in their home optimism? And now we need it as much or more than ever to be 
optimistic. So dig into that one a little bit, Tom, because we're all going to put our own quick label on what optimism is, you know, positive thinking. And one of the best, well, one of the best, uh, not caveats, uh, foundational statements, I think on that, that I love is your dad's is Zig Ziglar him saying, you know, po- within positive thinking, it won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking. will. man, that feels, how can, I don't know how to argue that that feels irrefutable. So when we look at optimism as seeing the glass half full, however you want to look at that and looking at the bright side, seeing a problem and saying, Hey, where's an opportunity for a solution as my mom and dad would say, um, that optimism is not something we're going to see when we tune into USA Today, CNN, Instagram, Facebook, for the most part. Now, there's threads. I mean, you and I know people, and hopefully we're, we ourselves are trying to purvey optimism within those channels. But the culture at large, media at large, that is not, if it bleeds, it leads. And optimism is the opposite. So, uh, good place for us to land. You know, um, I think this could easily be in the top four or five needs of the day right now. And the reason is, is we've just been slammed from so many directions of negative input. And the problem, you know, dad said this, he said, the way you see your future determines your thinking. Yeah. And your thinking determines your performance. Right. And right now, the future, um, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy because we get the constant drip, drip, drip on the news and social media. And yet, I think I saw a poll that the, the pe- people are more optimistic about the future than they've been in 16 years. Hmm. And I'm just wondering, is because it's been so dire that, you know, with things turning a little bit, it's like, well, yeah, it was better than three months ago, (laughs) you know, or six months ago. But dad said this, so optimism and hope go hand in hand. So if you're hopeless, you're not even going to try. Yeah. So we've got to have the optimism. Now, the reason I think it's so incredibly important right now is I believe the disruption is going to increase as we go forward, I mean, the way technology and the world is changing and, and everything is it's going to disrupt where we are. So if you if your fear based reaction is I need to wait and see what happens, people are going to get you're going to get you can't wait. You're going to get left behind so quickly with the change that it's going to be hard to catch up. But if you're optimistic about the disruption, you're like, man, I don't know what it's going to mean. I don't know how it's going to impact me, but I do know this, the more disruption, the more problems, the more problems, the more people who need help, the more people who need help, the more chances I get to serve. I'm, I know I'm a great server. I know I'm a great problem solver. I know there are people I care about. There's customers that I want to see do well. So I'm optimistic about the future because no matter what comes, I can serve. And so if you're not optimistic, why bother serving? Yep. And so I think optimism is more important than it's ever been uh, at this time in our country, because with the escalation and the rapidity of change at the foundational levels, if, if that bogs us down, we could get so many steps behind that we can't catch up. Yeah. 
Well, but if we're optimistic and we're going to embrace this change, we're going to embrace these things. We're going to we're going to invest in ourselves to learn what we need to know. Then we can go to that next level. So, am, am I hiring? If I'm hiring somebody today, it has to be in the context of what's my future plan for this person. Now, this is what's interesting. One of the great surveys that just came out. The number two re the number two thing that people are looking for in an employer is, do they have a professional development plan for me? Interesting. If I go to work for a company and I discover they don't have a professional development plan for me, what I've just uncovered is that they are either not optimistic in me or they are not optimistic in the future of the business or worse, they're clueless. And so isn't it interesting that the number two thing that new hires look for is does this organization have a professional development plan for me? Hmm. Now, if you're a startup and you've got one or two people, <clears throat> okay, you get a pass on this one. Right. You, don't, you, don't, you don't have to work. If you are in a business that's a little bit mature and you've got different levels of new hire, you better have and tout and promote a professional development plan that's, that somebody can get excited about. Maybe our millennials are frustrated because we're not optimistic about their future in our business. And instead we're pessimistic in saying, are you going to be like all the rest of them? Yeah. I, I love that perspective, Tom. How, what a great thing as in the, in the flavor of how I presented this, if you were hiring, that as we are hiring to think about, we are not hiring somebody to fulfill a role, just fulfill a duty. We want them to do that. They will do that better if we focus on also growing them up in these qualities, that that is our opportunity. As you said, that is our opportunity. And as these, I love what you said is, is there are more problems. There's more need. And there's more opportunity. It reminds me of Michael Jr., who I've talked with a bunch lately. Uh, we had on the show just recently, and he was talking in reference to kids, uh, college-age kids going to college, that instead of us asking them, what are you good at or what do you enjoy or what are you interested in, to instead say, who do you want to serve? Who do you want to serve and how, what do you want to advocate for? And I even thought further, because I think of some of my kids, you know, what is that thing out there in the culture that bothers you, you know, that you're interested in? Because there's so many things, there's so many needs out there. What bothers you? I've got kids who are so very interested and concerned about the environment, you know, that what's happening with our resources and our consumerism and what it's doing to the earth. Man, that's great. So who do you want to serve and how go that direction? I've got the same with you know, kids with health and wellness that are concerned about where that's going. And so great, where can you serve? And then to what you said though, Tom, as an aspect of optimism, that that is so closely aligned with hope. My thought was just that for us all to ask, what are we hoping in? Where is our hope? What is our hope? Is it, if it's just in me, that's pretty depressing 
and we're in trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go. Well, again, it's just a great muse for us to think on. And that was, what was that? Five, six, seven, eight. That was eight out of the 15. Um, we did not hit on great things and you guys can, can consider them for yourself. Things like freedom and justice and thriftiness and generosity and objectivity, moderation. Um, but so powerful to, for us all to take these things and think, how are we, if these are what the values that are upheld across the globe, that how are we exemplifying these things, walking th these things out, engaging in these, in our businesses. And Tom, as we, you and I were chatting at before then, uh, in our homes as well, how am I leading my family or my friends or my circle of influence in these areas? Man, it's just fun to, this is like us having coffee, talking about worthy things and we get to do it and share it. Thank you, Tom. Good uh, stuff, brother. Love hearing your wisdom. All right, I'm going to give you these top eight one more time. Number one was integrity and humility as a tie. Uh, number two, industriousness, cooperation, and love. And number three, we had wisdom, courage, and optimism. A great exercise is just to write those down and ask yourself how you are intentionally taking action to engage with and exude, in essence, those values, those virtues. Coming up in episode 889, I'm back with comedic thought leader Michael Jr. to talk through his key habits for success. In episode 887, he discussed his own paradigm shift from getting laughs to giving laughs. Similarly, in this episode, he shares his daily person-by-person -person attempt to discern, what can I do for this person in front of me? And he candidly shares how he's not as confident on stage when he's overweight and a bunch of interesting things. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, you'll hear uh, about that and more in this episode with Michael Jr., episode 889. Till then, folks, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.